Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, drones in Crow Wing County, the latest on the Fond du Lac Neighborhood Cemetery restoration, and the remarkable Ryan Stoltz, Minnesota's kid reporter for Scholastic. But first, President Trump this week queued up a significant political battle nominating federal appeals court judge Brett Kavanaugh to succeed Justice Anthony Kennedy on the U.S. Supreme Court. Kavanaugh clerked for Kennedy at one point, and among items on his long resume, he was White House Staff Secretary for President George W. Bush and had a key role in drafting the 1998 report by special counsel Kenneth Starr urging the impeachment of President Bill Clinton. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with Minnesota reaction to the president's nomination. Scott, Democrats are sounding alarm bells, to be sure, as demonstrated by this conversation that MNN's Tasha Radel had with Minnesota DFL Party Chairman Ken Martin. Judge Kavanaugh's views are extremely uh, out of line with the majority of where most Americans fall on really important issues. And what we'll see in the coming weeks and months ahead is a pretty fierce fight in the U.S. Senate uh, over this uh, appointment. And I, I don't think it's a certainty that he's going to be confirmed. I think there's a lot of uh, doubts and a lot of questions that still need to be answered about where he falls on a lot of these issues. But uh, given the fact that he has uh, rendered so many decisions already on important issues, it's pretty clear that a lot of his uh, viewpoints are really outside of the mainstream of where most Americans are at. And you know there's a lot of concern surrounding uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, is that something that you're also concerned with? Oh, I absolutely am, and it's something that I talked about even uh, two years ago during the presidential contest, that, that really the presidential race was about the control of the Supreme Court, and a lot of the uh, rights, frankly, that most Americans uh, have, have come to expect, uh, things like reproductive rights, uh, you know, uh, uh, marriage equality, so many other uh, rights that people have fought and died for in this country are now in jeopardy with this uh, nomination and a, pen, a, a potential appointment of Judge Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Donald Trump said very clearly that one of the deciding factors for him is going to be both a, a judge who uh, is pro-life and then also a judge who would uh, vote to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. And uh, neither one of those are things that the majority of Americans that's Minnesota DFL Party Chairman Ken Martin. Republicans, not surprisingly, are delighted with President Trump's choice of Kavanaugh. Here's Minnesota GOP Chair Jennifer Carnahan. If you look at Judge Kavanaugh's background, he just brings with him such an impressive educational pedigree. He's got incredible and important experience out um, in D.C. And his philosophy and approach, I think, are going to be very critical and important for the next generation of our country. The Democratic Party folks are sounding the alarm, particularly on Roe v. Wade, your DFL counterpart. He says gone will be a woman's right to her health care decisions. They're they're warning Roe v. Wade could be overturned. Yeah, you know, I just think that's a very extreme position to take, and I think it's trying to uh, rile up and incite um, discord and divide and assume things that, you know, may or may not even happen. And frankly, the Democrats do this every time that a Republican president is in the White House and has the opportunity to appoint a Supreme Court justice. They always take an issue and try to politicize it and sensationalize it, and it just isn't right, and it's not accurate. 
he made the same comment, and perhaps your response will be the same, on the Affordable Care Act. And he says it will be gutted, leaving those with pre-existing conditions once at the mercy of insurance companies. Yeah, no, again, my, my reaction would be exactly the same. The Democrats sensationalize everything, and frankly, that is what is creating the discord and the divide in this country and moving people um, to complete polar opposites, and that's what's taking the country away from being more in the middle politically, and it's just wrong, and it has done nothing to advance our country or move our people in the right direction. What would your message be to Senators Smith and Klobuchar? Senator Smith and Klobuchar need to remember that they represent all Minnesotans. They need to do the responsible thing and take a look at Judge Kavanaugh's uh, resume and experience and his approach and do what's in the best interest of the country in Minnesota and not play politics. Republican Party of Minnesota Chair Jennifer Carnahan. President Trump made his nomination, but Kavanaugh must still get 51 votes in the United States Senate. MNN Scott Peterson talked with Carleton College political science professor Stephen Scheer about that. This is a safe selection for Senate approval. Uh, there's a report that when uh, Donald Trump in recent days was getting criticism from advisors about Kavanaugh, he said, hey, he's got the votes. <laughs> and that is the bottom line. You have to have a confirmable appointee, and uh, apparently Kavanaugh is that person. It does appear that the reaction uh, from both sides is, is pretty much split along party lines, but you're, you're thinking that he's not going to have any problem? Being... Well, I think that he'll probably get unified Republican support, and that will get, yield him uh, 51 votes, and that's enough. In terms of his past record, he's got a, a long paper trail with a lot of cases that he's weighed in on. Uh, anything in particular that folks should be watching for or that you expect Democrats to hit him pretty hard for? Well, um, uh, they'll obviously be asking him about Roe v. Wade, but when he was confirmed previously, he said it was settled law and an important precedent. So I think that he hasn't really given them much to work with there. Uh, he has argued for an expansionist view of presidential power, which I think Democrats in Congress will challenge. Uh, but I think you have to understand that he was chosen in part because he's an intellectual leader amongst judicial conservatives. A number of his circuit uh, uh, court of appeals opinions have actually influenced Supreme Court opinions. And he's very active in judicial scholarship. So a lot of conservatives were looking for an intellectual successor to Antonin Scalia, and Kavanaugh is about as close as you can come. That's Carleton College analyst Stephen Shear. I think it's fair to say, Scott, that President Trump's nomination of Kavanaugh and the ensuing debate will ratchet up an already supercharged campaign season going first into the August 14th primary in Minnesota and then the November 6th general election. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return in a moment. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What tape? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. 
but spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Law enforcement officials in Crow Wing County are using a bird's eye view to help respond to emergencies. Tasha Radel explains. Crow Wing County Emergency Management is one of the first in the state to use drones in emergency situations. Joining me now is Captain Scott Goddard. Wanted to visit with you. I know you folks there in Crow Wing County are, are one of the first uh, in the state to be using and expanding your program when it comes to the emergency use of drones. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and perhaps some of the examples of where you're using drones? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so what uh, we were able to partnership uh, with uh, the National Joint Powers Association and were awarded a grant and our partnership is with uh, local police departments and fire departments. And uh, the basis of our drone program is to provide uh, support uh, to fire personnel and then also within the sheriff's office and local police departments. Um, any uh, support or operation uh, type activity that we can do, such as uh, search if we have a lost child or a lost hunter, uh, our most recent one here, just uh, two or three days ago, I believe it was July 8th, it started. We had a, a victim that had drowned on an area lake, and our drone team was actually able to get up and uh, provide oversight, and uh, were, were able to look into the shallower areas of the lake. They weren't able to spot them, but they were at least able to cover the shoreline, and then down to about eight foot of water, they said, that they could see down into the bottom of the lake. And is this something you're going to continue expanding? I don't know. How many drones do you folks have now? Well, with the grant, we were able to purchase four. So we have uh, two larger ones that have cameras, and they actually have a, uh, a claw device on there that we can transport a load. Um, our basis and idea for that was to deliver a life jacket or a, float, a floating device um, out, say, if someone were to fall through the ice. And we have trained on that. And then we have two smaller drones uh, that basically the same technology, just not as good of cameras, but they're much uh, more adaptable uh, to environments in closed areas within buildings. And then also they can be deployed a lot quicker too. So the way our program is set up, we uh, house one of our drone teams in the Brainerd area. And then we have the other uh, drone team housed out of the Cross Lake area. So we're basically on both sides of our county to try to speed up our response time. And then can you, can you give us an example then? Um, obviously, you'd have to kind of build a team of pilots then. Is that fair to say? Right, yes. We actually were uh, fortunate to uh, have 12 pilots that are spread throughout the county, and they come from a number of disciplines. We have some that are in law enforcement. We have some that are from our correctional staff over in the jail. And then the remainder are from fire department personnel. And when you look at like at the traditional, uh, let's say, state patrol helicopters versus a drone, uh, when it comes to refueling and recharging, I guess, with the drones, uh, I'm assuming the drones would be faster? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the problem that uh, we've had in the past. Uh, we love having any support from the air, but getting a helicopter here is very costly and sometimes can take a long time for them to respond. And we have often ran into the same um, problems with uh, fixed-wing planes, too. With the drones, uh, all we need is our personnel, which we know we have here locally, 
And uh, the only real downtime is switching out the batteries. You know, so we can operate about 20 to 30 minutes comfortably and then come back and replace the batteries, and we can be right back up in the air. So our response time is a lot quicker, and then uh, the overall operating costs are obviously a lot lower, too. Have you had other counties reached out to you about your successes or inquiries about this type of a program? Yeah, we have, you know, and we uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't invent the wheel on it. We were able to get a hold of a, a few counties in the, in the state that do have a program. At what level, I'm not sure. I know when we drew up our policies, our procedures, uh, we were able to, you know, basically uh, uh, use a lot of the information that was already out there. Uh, and the guidelines are there, you know, through the FAA, through everything else uh, for what we can and can't do. Uh, we do have a night waiver, so we are allowed to operate at night which is going to be another big benefit, especially when we're looking for the, you know, say, a lost children or a walk-away uh, uh, patient from a hospital or uh, even a lost hunter. Well, lots of great information. Anything else, uh, uh, Captain Goddard, that you wanted to add? Not that I can think of. Okay. Well, no, this was wonderful. I, I thank you so much. I just find this uh, fascinating going. But technology just blows me away every day, oh, that's for yeah, sure. absolutely. It's it's. It's, it's just like anything else. You know, you buy it and it's almost obsolete, and that's what we found too. You know, as soon as we buy, as soon as we got our equipment, uh, not that we're looking to upgrade at all, you know, right now, but, uh, you know, immediately, uh, you know, all the companies start showing us the newest and best, and uh, you, you simply can't keep up with how quick technology is going. Thanks again to my guest, Captain Scott Goddard with the Crow Wing County Sheriff's Office. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. What started out as just a bridge project over Mission Creek in the Fond du Lac neighborhood in Duluth took an unfortunate turn when it was discovered the site was part of a Native American cemetery. Reporter J.W. Cox tells us how several groups are working together to make the best out of a bad situation. It had the earmarks of a cut-and-dry, no-debate, much-needed project for residents. The old bridge over Mission Creek, a last stop for water flowing into the St. Louis River, was too narrow. In 2012, floodwaters carried debris to the bridge, stopped up the flow of the creek, and caused flooding in the neighborhood. So, MnDOT District Engineer Dwayne Hill said plans were drawn up and shovels hit the ground. But shortly thereafter, a Fond du Lac Tribal Historic Preservation Officer contacted workers and said they may have excavated some graves and even moved human remains out of that soil. Our contractor had done most of the grading work and it disturbed about a thousand cubic yards of soil. We realized that we had excavated into uh, some graves and um, moved about a thousand yards of soil that contains human remains. Hill says with that knowledge, they took immediate action to study further. We had to stabilize all the soil in the cemetery area that we disturbed so it wouldn't erode or expose more graves. We also um, started a process of defining where the cemetery was and where it is not in our project area and collected enough data to really kind of hone in this summer on the exact limits of the cemetery, which is really important for considering a project in the future. And then, as I said, we had about a 1,000 cubic yards of soil that was disturbed. So we started processing that soil to remove the uh, human remains and the grave goods and treat them appropriately. The idea is that they would be reinterned back in that cemetery area that was disturbed. And then the, that cemetery area, um, when we're all done with this, will be finished and kind of monumented in a way that... Um, Hopefully there won't be a future project that ever impacts it again. Over the last year or so, Hill says they've processed about 20% of the soil that was disturbed from the cemetery. So we need to process the rest and then put it back in the cemetery area. 
in reinsuring the human remains that were in that material in an appropriate manner. Those are the biggest pieces of work that we have remaining. And, uh, you know, we're really hoping that we're on a path now to get most of that work done by the time winter sets in. It's quite an effort to do that. It's very tedious work, and it has to be done in a culturally sensitive manner. It takes lots of people to accomplish that work. We're on a path to bring in more, more workers. Our goal is to have this mostly done by winter. What the area will look like when the process is complete is still in the early decision stages. We've started to have this discussion about, you know, do we want it natural landscape? Do we want... Um, you know, is it manicured? What kind of a different, um, what's the direction and what does the Fond du Lac band of Chippewa want as far as the final um, appearance of the cemetery? So we're in the process of just starting to look at some architectural renderings to kind of give some starting points of, of a discussion and hoping to get direction you know, so that we have kind of a plan by the end of the summer. What are we trying to accomplish as far as finishing off um, the appearance of the cemetery itself? While officials are happy with the chance to properly mark and memorialize the area, Hill says this is not something MnDOT can allow to happen again. The fact that this happened was a systematic failure of our efforts to develop a project. So there were lots of opportunities to learn about the potential of this cemetery that didn't surface. And one of the one of the issues, the biggest issue, is this project was funded with state funds, 100% state funds. Most of our work has some federal money in it, especially when you're contemplating something big, as big as a bridge replacement. And when we use federal funds, we have a process that we always follow where we consult with neighboring tribes about cultural resources. And in this case, because it was state funds, we didn't follow our process that we use with federal funds. So one of the positive things is that we identified that as a gap in the work that we do at MnDOT, and we've developed a way to not let state-funded projects um, be developed without doing uh, consultation with the Indian tribes on cultural resources. As for what started it all, Hill recognizes there is still a need to find a solution to flood concerns on the old bridge over Mission Creek. We really can't contemplate a bridge replacement project until we define the exact limits of the cemetery. Once we do that, then we can say, okay, here's some potential alternative that would avoid impacts to the cemetery, and then kind of restart the process of permitting and doing the environmental work and designing a bridge replacement. I, I anticipate that once that's done, we're going to move as quickly as we can to um, you know, develop a bridge replacement project and get it under construction again. For now, as part of the recovery team, equipment is permanently staged near the bridge to remove any debris that begins to gather and could possibly lead to flood concerns. This summer, experts from Hamlin University will join tribal preservation officers already a part of the process to continue the study and processing of the site. Hill says both groups have been instrumental in turning this from a mistake into an opportunity. Some of the tribal members have said this too. History has a way of it revealing itself for positive purpose. I think that's a kind of a really good statement about, you know, if there's something positive that's going to come out of this, we're going to learn. The Fond du Lac Band is going to be able to learn something about their history. They're going to be able to share that. And we're going to certainly be able to do a better job of monumenting this location in a way and identifying it in a way that it will never be disturbed again. 
Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters will return after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's rogue construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. 13-year-old Ryan Stoltz of Eden Prairie is a seasoned reporter for Scholastic News. He's talked with VIPs around the world, and I recently had the chance to chat with him about getting the story right, the current state of journalism, and his plans for the future. So to be a Scholastic reporter, you have to fill out an application, uh, explain two story ideas uh, that you would uh, have if you were to be selected, and you have to say why you would want to be a scholastic reporter. Uh, this year, there were four, over 400 applicants, and uh, there were 44 reporters chosen uh, from around the world. And I am the only one in Minnesota currently. I'm curious, what is it that made you want to be a reporter? So I love understanding stories and why, like, I just love understanding stories, and I love sharing them with people, and Scholastic really helps me do that, uh, and lots of my stories are inspiring, so I think if I'm able to share these, maybe, uh, if I'm able to share these stories, then maybe kids can, or, you know, maybe, doesn't have to be kids, can be adults too, can make a difference in their community, and just, you know, make people smile and stuff like that, or, you know, do something cool for their community, or anything, yeah. What do you find to be the most challenging part of being a reporter? So sometimes people just don't take me seriously because of my age. Uh, and it can also be harder to get credentials because of that as well. But it has its, its advantages. When I was at Super Bowl Media Day, uh, when there's players like Tom Brady and everyone wants to interview him, so he has like a little booth. And then for the bigger players, you know, bigger names, they have just tons of giant cameras on these huge tripods, and it's almost like a maze to get there. It's very hard, you know, where you can actually ask a question to the player. But I think that's where it kind of comes in handy a little bit because I'm younger and I'm a little bit smaller, and I can kind of weave myself through everyone, and I can, you know, I'm able to answer the question or ask the question. We hear a lot about fake news these days, and there's a lot of scrutiny aimed towards the media. I'm wondering if that's something that's had an impact on you and how you deal with that. In my stories, I just really need to make sure that I deliver 100% of the truth and make sure that I stay unbiased in all my stories. Uh, make sure that you know all, all the information uh, in my story doesn't have my opinion in it personally. 
uh, I need to let the reader decide whether they like it or don't like it or support it or don't support it. But it, it's really important for me to make sure in all my stories when I'm writing and editing them, uh, just to make sure that it's 100% of the truth. You mentioned uh, just a little bit ago you had an opportunity to speak with Tom Brady. I'm wondering if you can mention just a couple of the uh, the interviews that you're most proud of or that you were happiest to get. So I think the interviews I'm most proud of would be one, uh, Malala Yousafzai. She is the youngest recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, and when she was 17 years old, she was recognized uh, for her efforts to improve access to education uh, to kids all over the world. Uh, she stood up against the Taliban in Pakistan, uh, where she was living at the time, and the Taliban uh, was banning girls from attending school, uh, but she kept on going to school anyway uh, with her two brothers. And when she was 15, she uh, was actually shot by the Taliban uh, while she was riding the school bus. And now she fights for kids everywhere to get an education. And I think her story is just so incredibly inspiring. It was an honor to interview her and share her story on Scholastic. Uh, and I think, I think that's probably one of the most uh, inspiring and probably my most proud story that I have. Ryan, if there's anybody uh, in the world that you could interview, who would it be, someone that you haven't had a chance to talk to yet? Anybody in the world. Well, I, so I've interviewed Jay Leno, uh, Trevor Noah, and Seth Meyers, and I would really love to keep the, you know, kings of late night streak going. So I'd like to interview Jimmy Fallon, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, James Corden, Stephen Colbert. Uh, I want to interview, you know, all the, all the late night kings. Uh, I think they're all, you know, really funny interviews. Uh, they're really nice guys. Um, I think it would be really fun to interview uh, all, of, all of the late-night people. With all the experience that you've had here, and it sounds like you really enjoy being a reporter, is this something that you know for sure that you want to do when you get a little bit older as a career, or are you keeping your options open? Yeah, so I think definitely Scholastic has helped me to, you know, want, to kind of help me figure out uh, what I want to do in my future. Uh, but as I said before, I, I just love understanding current events and learning about important things that are happening around the world. And I think reporting goes right along with those lines. I'm able to not only understand it for myself, but share it with others. Uh, and I think, I think so far I am definitely leaning towards reporting. But, I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm not 100% like, oh, I'm going to be a reporter, uh, definitely. But I think... Right now, my dream job would be to be uh, ESPN sports announcer or reporter because I also love sports. I uh, play football, and I love watching sports and playing you know, with my friends out in the backyard and stuff like that. Uh, so I think combining reporting and sports, my two favorite things, that would be like my dream job. I have no doubt my guest Ryan Stoltz can achieve anything he sets his mind to. Good luck to you, Ryan. If you'd like to read Ryan's stories, you can visit scholastic.com slash kidspress. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.